0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Navigation systems literally make the world go round, but how do we keep them in check? So it turns out Australia is not exactly where we thought we'd left it, and the Australian government's going to have to do some interesting science to get us back into the right spot on the map. Plus, we found out how you keep ships and driverless cars on track and safe, and how it also helps the marine ecosystem. Whether it be self-driving cars, navigation services and map apps, or even just Pokemon Go, we now rely an awful lot in our daily lives, GPS systems, for pretty much everything – It used to be just purely for getting you from point A to point B, but now it's just becoming such a normal fact of life that we use GPS for everything from getting us places, helping us catch virtual monsters, localising our searches and helping us find the nearest taxi service or restaurant, or even using for odd things like synchronising all our traffic lights and variable speed signs across the world. So, GPS is something now that we almost take for granted. But in Australia, we're stumbling into an interesting problem. More specifically, the entirety of Australia, the government has decided effectively, is going to have to shift upwards. Now, Australia is at the bottom of the world if you view it north to south, but if you inverted the world, we'll be at the top. But regardless, the main problem is we're going to have to adjust our latitude and longitude according to the according to geosciences australia which is the peak australian agency government agency that is responsible for geoscientific research geography and maps and pretty much what they've determined is that all of our maps and all of our understanding of where australia physically is currently is out by sometimes a couple of meters And this is a little bit alarming for anyone who relies on really highly accurate and precise navigation. And it means that new technologies such as driverless cars, which need a lot more precise data than they do at the moment, if you don't account for these current errors in the Australia's definition for latitude and longitude, we're going to run into real big problems. So what needs to happen is this. The world is divided up into latitude and longitude. Latitude and longitude for the if you're not entirely sure, is basically a measure of how far or how many angles you are away from the equator or the prime meridian, the vertical line, which at our definition goes through Greenwich in the UK. And basically these two big lines, the equator and the prime meridian, we then measure how many degrees we are away from that. For example, in Melbourne, in Australia, we're about, we're located 37 degrees point four eight. South, and so that so that's latitude, and then longitude. We are one hundred and forty four degrees east. That that's pretty much how you use latitude and longitude to localize a position in space on Earth. And you know, it seems a bit silly, but latitude and longitude was a really big problem that we needed to solve, and it took us a long time to do so. I mean, we worked out originally some great methods that defined particularly around those from ancient Greece around third century C.E. Or B.C.E. and We've refined later and later and built on that Uh, and the idea of latitude and longitude kind of was then more refined mathematically because we had to account for things like the fact that the earth is not actually perfectly round there is a bulge at the equator which is not hugely significant but enough to throw out this kind of assuming a perfect sphere projection in any case there are a lot of problems and challenges in calculating latitude and longitude and thanks to the great mechanism we came up with for using this it made navigation across the ocean a lot easier because it enabled sailors to accurately identify where they are and how their maps fit together. Likewise, nowadays, we use latitude and longitude as part of our GPS and navigation systems, which I guess we spoke about earlier, we rely on for a lot of things. So when these accuracies start to shift more and more, when you start relying on it in other apps downstream, it means the error compounds and it can become quite a problem. So basically, we need to realign Australia effectively and lift it up a little bit of latitude and longitude just so that we're more in line uh, with the actual reality of the situation. Now, there are better calculations. The last time it was updated, the geocentric datum of Australia, GDA, was last updated in ninety four. And, and it will keep shifting. It will be out by about 1.8 metres by 2020 unless an update or correction is issued. And we think we'll probably have that correction issued and created in January 2017. Now all of this is really, really interesting, especially for those of you who love playing around with maps, but it just goes to show just how important accurate base information is before you then go and start to do all other kinds of cool or scientific ideas or activities. And this is really, really important, particularly as you probably would have experienced if you've played Pokemon Go, you know how often you're cursor indicating where you are Moves around without you even moving at all and that's because, because of the way GPS works A lot of the time you actually end up uh, Miscalculating or not figuring out exactly where you are You might be physically standing next to a landmark Which you know is right there But your map says that you're 5 or 10 metres out And that's because GPS is actually only accurate To 5 to 10 metres uh, Obviously military satellite positioning systems Are a lot more accurate than that Down to the millimetre Uh, but commercially available ones still have a 5 to 10 meter band on them, which is a real problem if you wanted to use it with driverless cars. Driverless cars would be really great, but they require really, really accurate position knowledge. And that 5 to 10 meters is suddenly not good enough at all. So that's where updating our base maps, like Geosciences Australia was talking about, will go some of the ways to help improve the accuracy to make things more reliable and make You know, maybe just catching Pokemon a bit easier, but also getting from place A to B much simpler and more accurate as well. Meaning that in the future, whatever new app, game, or fancy technology that relies on accurate positions will work a lot more efficiently and accurately. about GPS and how useful it is in our everyday life, but what happens when that suddenly disappears and it's a matter of life and death? Obviously, if you miss a turn-off on your freeway, you're probably going to have to do a U-turn at some point and take a bit longer to get to your destination. But a lot of navigation that's actually undertaken is a lot more critical. Things like airplanes and ships rely on GPS amongst other technologies to help them avoid dangerous objects or sunken reefs or sandbars or rocks that could drastically endanger their existence. And some interesting work being done at the University of Nottingham and the Royal Norwegian Naval Academy have been investigating what would happen with GPS signals on a ship if, for example, the signals were somehow jammed. So big modern ships are now actually pretty much highly automated. They have all the maps, they have their GPS, and they can help avoid with a quasi-auto navigation system. Big problems. And that's really good. It makes everybody's life a lot easier. And they actually tend to use differential GPS, which are much more accurate positioning, probably about to a meter than conventional GPS like we spoke about before, which is five to 10 meters. But the problem is with the differential GPS is that they're very, very, very sensitive receivers. And that makes them really easy to, unfortunately, disrupt. In fact, there are commercially available jamming device, signal jamming devices, available for about 50 pounds or, you know, 80 Australian dollars, which are available on the marketplace, not really a controlled device. And that's a real big problem for any ship and navigation and a huge security as well as safety concern. So the Royal Norwegian Naval Academy and the University of Nottingham got together to try and figure out how we could look after these shipping lanes to help get rid of this error as well as keep people safe. And that's really critical for really tight areas when you have GPS jamming near cliffs or narrow straits or fjords, which there's a lot of in the north of the UK as well as Scandinavia region in general. And that would effectively cause not necessarily a huge accident, but potentially a motorway pileup just with boats, which is a huge problem. And so how they did it was they basically tested if you could jam a ship uh, using a small boat and some jamming equipment mounted on cliffs. So what they did when they aimed these uh, jammers at their really highly accurate GPS is that they found they could give false readings, not, not to stop the GPS from functioning at all, but give it false data points to make the thing, the ship, believe it was moved by up to 10 metres different directions. And that's a really big problem because a lot of those really tightly bound straits of navigation between cliffs and sharp rocks, you don't have 10 meters of leeway. And so that could obviously lead to a lot of potential concern. So 10 meters is also really dangerous if you don't have much visibility, which you might not have in a, in a tightly bound cliff place to begin with. So basically, what do you do? Well, the solution here is to rely on more than one source. Traditional GPS or differential GPS signals uh, use one base set of frequencies but there is another set of frequencies used in a a GPS alternative it's a multi-frequency system called GLONASS and basically by having a multi-band GPS and a multi-band GLONASS system you can compare them to each other and through a bit of fancy signal analysis not only get a more accurate position you can also make it more robust so that if some kind of uh, damaging forces is trying to push you off course, you can keep yourself right on track. But it involves a lot of complicated mathematics and frequency analysis to do so. So whilst it is a good solution, it does mean you're effectively doubling all your equipment. But these are the kind of technologies, as is, as boring and as weird as it might seem, that you're going to need to have bedded down in tough situations and controllable situations like in boats and shipping channels before you can even possibly think about applying it to driverless cars because driverless cars will have exactly the same problems just with more chances of change and more chances of jamming on risk because you want to think about it this problem with ships going through a small channel is exactly like a car staying inside a lane or entering a building or a parking lot and so again in the same situation when you're trying to solve this challenge in driverless cars you need to think about Improving the base set of data and making it more resilient. So, whilst this will, this research from the University of Nottingham and the Royal Norwegian Naval Academy will help solve some problems for ships, it also helps us lot, learn a lot and improve our overall use of GPS navigation to one day, probably, hopefully, enable us to have really accurate driverless cars. Navigation systems not only help humans or robots in driverless cars, but also animals in an interesting way. And a new paper published by the Wildlife Conservation Society in partnership with the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration, the US Coast Guard, Space Quest, Google, and SkyTruth basically analyzed how the navigation system, the automatic identification system used in international shipping, has helped boats avoid collisions, stay safe on coastlines, but also help set up safe harbours and safe places for endangered marine animals to live, to also help monitor and map these marine areas of conservation and protect the animals in the sea, which just goes to show that there's actually a big win-win here all involved. Now the automatic identification system was put into place in 2000 and it's mostly used for helping keep ships on track in right shipping lanes and monitor basically where all the ships are at all the times and help them keep them on established routes of navigation. But it's also a really vital tool to help protect whale and other marine mammal species particularly in locations like the arctic where shipping is starting to increase as the ice caps melt particularly in the arctic new passages are opening up and making commercially viable to actually just go over the top of the world or in routes that were not possible before the challenge here is that that goes right through some pristine marine ecosystems with a lot of endangered breeding species breeding grounds or at least protected areas and it's not just physically a ship going through that area that's the problem you also need to map and understand the propagation of wake and acoustic damage, which can also significantly impact things such as whales, who are really very much dependent on their communication via the waters and their hearing to find their prey as well as to communicate with other whales. So when you start putting a whole bunch of noise into the ocean from a big boat, it can have impacts for kilometres, hundreds of kilometres away. And it's really quite interesting because the AIS wasn't actually designed as a conservation tool, but it is actually helping save creatures across the world and it sort of works by you sort of identify areas where uh, large cetaceans or large seagoing mammals are and then you can map them and overlap them and find places where they congregate you can identify breeding grounds and when you start throwing in the animals that are tagged as well you can help to actually then track the species migration more easily and steer ships away from them maybe change a route or avoid a particular pot So it just goes to show that things that you develop for a tool that improves navigation can have benefits for a lot of different areas that aren't immediately obvious. And that's one of the joys of some of these interesting scientific research. You can start down one pathway and end up with benefits that you don't immediately see for lots of things. And it's really important that we now start to use technologies like this to help in conservation as well as we start to go more into areas that overlap significantly with endangered species breeding grounds or pristine ecosystems like the Arctic, we need to make sure that we go in there and try and minimise our damage as much as possible. So this is some great research and collaboration really between the Wildlife Conservation Society as well as a whole bunch of other international organisations to help keep our seas safe for vessels, for people and for animals too. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This is what we found out about keeping GPS in check, moving Australia a few metres up on the maps, as well as keeping our ships and driverless cars on path and helping conserve marine eco-environment. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Anatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.